We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. That might be the first time I ever intro by saying it's instead of the... I don't know what happened there, but we're here in the dead of the dead of the dead of the offseason. This is when it finally started to hit in, click in for me, Nick, where I was just like, oh my God, it's the dead of the offseason. There is nothing to talk about. I realized it when somebody tweeted out, I think it was a take by a PFF guy who I I don't really know the name. Not important. But the take was that Tyreek Hill was the greatest deep threat in the history of the NFL. And then it was totally debunked and destroyed by someone just literally putting up a highlight video of Randy Moss, who, by the way, I also believe is the greatest NFL deep threat in NFL history. I think Randy Moss is one of the most underrated players at any position, literally. I think he might be like, he's. I don't know if he's the best receiver of all time. I'm sure Jerry Rice would have a lot, lot of problems with me making that statement. But as far as pure talent goes and when he was at his peak, Randy Moss was probably 1-1 one, one for me. And that 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 take about him being a better deep threat than Moss and all those other guys, it went. It sent Twitter into a craze, and there were so many replies and quote tweets, and it was just like, what are we talking about here? None of this matters. It's literally just conjecture, and that's the dead of the offseason. We've arrived. That is the dead of the offseason, but you know what? We're going to still try to bring our listeners some good Giants content here, and I... Have an article here that just dropped on Big Blue View. Everybody type in Big Blue View into the Google machine and check it out. And it's about those rookie projections. What are this Giants rookie class, what are they going to do this year? What do you you think, Dan? You think they're going to be good? Yeah, well, we're going to get into all of that. But I will say this. Of course it doesn't mean we're stopping here on the Big Blue Banter podcast, Nick. No, no doubt about it. We're going to fight through the dead zone. This is like the tight end dead zone in fantasy and the running back dead zone. Mm. Oh, we're talking fantasy football, though. This is when you know it really went off the rails. So let's get into what today's show is all about. And today's show, like Nick hinted at, 
like he kind of teased right there, is going to be breaking down Nick's projections for the rookie class. I'll hear the projections. We'll put them out there. We'll talk about them. We'll see where they're at. We're just doing rookie projections for today. Um, And like Nick said, shameless promotion, shameless plug. You can find his work, but you should. Take a look at that work on Big Blue View. It'll be, you know, a more in-depth breakdown of these projections. But we're going to definitely run through all the rookies and kind of feel where we're at given, you know, all the circumstances, their rookie season, but also first year in this new system and, you know, who are the pieces around them and how does that impact them. But before that, I did want to talk to you about a quote I saw today, actually, that caught my attention. And that one was from uh, Sterling Shepard, who actually just went down to work with Daniel Jones. And what Shepard said was, this just shows Daniel Jones's leadership skills and getting everybody together and trying to get some of the timing down. That's really important for the offense, the timing, especially receiver to QB. We had a good session. We had a great time out there, really getting to know each other better and bonding with each other as well. Just shows you Jones's maturity level in being able to set something like that up. And I think this isn't the first time we saw this offseason. He's had like personal dinners with Tony, with Shepard, with Slayton, with all his boys, with Galladay. He had some throwing sessions with Galladay as well. I'm not quite sure if he's had a throwing session with Tony yet, but the fact of the matter is I really like this because I I know it's something that goes on with some quarterbacks, but I don't think every quarterback is taking this kind of initiative. And it's not just the leadership. It's like Shepard said, like the timing is really important. Him working on routes with Galladay and then going down and working around routes with Shepard instead of just kind of taking this offseason time to do whatever, you know, hang out, work out on his own. I think it's a really good sign just in general for him as a quarterback moving forward for the Giants. Oh, absolutely. He's been flying them out to Arizona a lot of the times. And I actually listened to the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast where they had Sterling Shepard on, obviously being a Oklahoma Sooner himself. And they brought up the fact that Daniel Jones has been organizing these events with Saquon Barkley, with Sterling Shepard, and bringing these new giants into the fold, specifically Kenny Galladay, I want to say John Ross as well. And they actually teased Sterling Shepard and they asked, does Daniel Jones, because he's the quarterback, does he foot the bill for all this? And Sterling Shepard laughed and he (laughs) said, you know what, Saquon Barkley helps a lot. He has a pretty good contract as well, (laughs) just from being a top five pick. And then Sterling added that he also helps Daniel Jones pay to fly everybody out there and get the Airbnb. But it actually just seems like a a uh, a good collaboration and just you could tell that these guys want to work together they're doing this on their own time they do not need to do this none of this is voluntary or mandatory or none of this is mandatory the team does not uh you know specify they need to do any of these things and they're doing it on their own dime and they're actually it seems like having fun doing it so i actually really do enjoy the fact that daniel jones is putting that team on his back right there and and kind of organizing this event and that all the receivers seem willing to jump in as well which just kind of speaks to the overall nature and I I guess you can use the word culture of of this Giants offense right now yeah it's a great point by you it is a culture you know you want to see these guys getting together you want to see these guys building these relationships off the field and on the field and you know with their rapport especially receiver to quarterback like Shepard said and I think it's interesting because you probably have to throw Kenny Galladay in the mix he better start footing some of these bills because he's the one I mean Shepard has that multi-year deal so I, I understand why he had to step in but Galladay this is the guy if he doesn't you know Galladay doesn't pick up a check every now and then that's the type of thing that starts to get noticed. You remember back to that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where they went out with a couple, Larry and Cheryl, they had their friends couple, and they went out to dinner, and every time the bill came, that guy who they were friends with from the couple, 
he would have to go to the bathroom, and then another bill came, and he would have to go to the bathroom. Oh, just magically, he had a bathroom problem every time the bill came. So that type of stuff starts to get noticed, so Galladay better start stepping in. I'm imagining Larry David was probably perfectly fine that that kept happening. He probably had no qualms about that whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, why not just no keep picking qualms. up the check? Actually, it was Cheryl who was first like, we're not picking up the check. We yeah. keep picking up the check That's for actually them true. every single time. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure Kenny Galladay, I mean, let's hope that his pockets aren't super deep there and that uh, he ends up footing those bills. This isn't like the voluntary organized team activity type stuff, the voluntary OTAs. This is literally on their own time, on their own dime. And if anybody wants to listen to that Sterling Shepard interview, I have no reason to plug the Oklahoma uh, Breakdown (laughs) podcast, but it was actually a really good interview. Like you look at Sterling Shepard, that's a really gregarious and just uh, passionate and charismatic individual. Yeah, Sterling Shepard's a good dude. I met with him during his rookie season. He was doing an event in the city. And it was at the MoMA, I believe. And he was it was an event where he was kind of showing off his fashion. There were new designs, and he was big into that. And he was still young. I got a chance to interview him, and he was just such a down-to-earth guy. It was really cool. It was him and Romeo Aquara, just them two. And we talked, like, sp- scheme stuff. We talked, oh, like, dude, yeah, he was that. really cool with that. And, like, he talked about how he's going to be in the slack. Actually, actually it's after his rookie season because it was the offseason where they brought in Brandon Marshall. And we were talking mm. about, you know, what that's going to mean for the offense. But And, and one key takeaway I, that I love to hear from Sterling Shepard on that podcast was the the podcast host asked him what is your main goal for 2021 and without a hitch he said my main goal is to play 17 games he's like he acknowledged the fact that he's been dinged up and he hates the fact that his teammates are out there grinding all the time and he's rehabbing an injury he kind of takes it personally so that's definitely something that I love to hear from Sterling Shepard me too and obviously he hasn't been kind of the he hasn't been the best example of a super healthy player a durable player so far in his career but as we noted last offseason plenty of times injuries are fleeting the whole idea of being injury prone is maybe applicable to some players especially if they start to get a lot of lower body injuries but someone like Shepard like last year it was a toe injury kind of unlucky and then he kind of came back from that quicker and like you know with Ingram all those years it was like everybody's like he'll never play the full season well then he did he played the full season so and everyone hated it <laughs> everyone he hated it yeah, you especially you hated it I, it's not, don't don't label me as you're a very team. harsh on Ingram yes I, you I'm are I'm real on Evan Ingram I, I think I'm you're a little I even think you're I don't like Ingram but I think you're a little too I'm sorry I like I'm like him as a player yeah, but I think you're a little too hard on him. I okay. don't know why. Okay. I just feel like it, it wouldn't surprise me if he is productive again with oh, all these weapons. Absolutely, again. if he's used the right way. You mm-hmm. just can't use him in the role as a traditional wide yes. tight end. Not even from a blocking standpoint, but even as a receiver. That's don't have him run. <laughs> Literally as a receiver. Yeah. That's the problem. The route running in the hands. Yeah. Then there's there's a lot, and I'm sure throughout this offseason we're gonna be talking about better ways to yeah implement Evan Ingram into this offense with all of these new additions, especially after we go through this Jason Garrett 2020 film. Again, we're both Dan and I are planning on doing that. So we'll definitely have a lot of content throughout this summer for all the listeners. Yeah, that's a little preview of what will come. You know, this offseason will break down each position like we did last offseason. We'll have some pretty good interviews, especially one with Mark Schofield we're excited about. Tease that one a little bit because that was our favorite podcast from last offseason was a breakdown of Daniel Jones. He's poured through that Jones film, so we're going to see what he thinks there. But yeah, we're definitely going to get into what Nick said as well, some scheme stuff, because that's what it's all about. But again, like you said, there are a lot of weapons, Evan Ingram being one of them, Sterling Shepard being another. And I thought it was interesting where Shepard said he's actually super excited about the offense this year because he's like this offense was literally in need of some weapons and I feel like we got that accomplished over the offseason I kind of feel like that's the truth there I don't think he feels like he's gonna lose he's mad about potentially losing touches targets his role in the offense I think he does care mostly about winning and I think he feels like those opportunities will come to him 
And that's what we all hope to just win games. I don't care if Sterling Shepard has two touches, three touches, as long as they're winning games and running the ball in the fourth quarter because they have a commanding lead, then I'm going to be happy. And Giants fans are going to be happy. And guess what? Those Giants players are going to be happy because they're winning, baby. Oh, man. It would feel so good if the Giants had like, I don't know, eight to 10 games next year where they had commanding leads in the fourth quarter. I can't even remember what it's like to watch a Giants game that's wrapped up by like the fourth quarter when they have just a commanding lead. I'm sure it's had to have happened recently. My memory's not great, as great as it used to be, but it just hasn't been consistent with like, they're in the fourth quarter, they're up two scores, three scores, and you know this game's probably over. And so you're right, hopefully that comes this year, but Nothing else too interesting, I don't think, on the news front right now. I mean, we could also talk about the quote Shepard said that got, and this was from, I think, a different, it might have been from that interview, actually, that Oklahoma interview. Got a lot of buzz I saw on Twitter. It was uh, basically he's really likes Joe Judge because Joe Judge really conditions them hard in camp and, like, works them hard. Remember, that was Joe Judge with a COVID shortened and a weird COVID offseason. Now he's going to get a little bit more flexibility and freedom to really crank it up intensity level with the conditioning. And Shepard was like, listen, we didn't do that at all with Shermer or McAdoo. And essentially is like, we noticed in the fourth quarter, like, those guys were gasping for air and we weren't. We were prepared for it. And versus previous seasons where because we didn't really... And it's crazy that he said that, by the way. It's like such a wild omission to hear that, like, Coach McAdoo and Coach Shermer didn't really condition the players. They just... They didn't think that was a part of what, you know, makes a winning program. And in a game where conditioning means so much. So... But it was an interesting quote. What did you make of that? I don't know to what extent... McAdoo and, and Schirmer didn't condition yeah. them. I'm sure that they conditioned somewhat, just not to the level of what Joe Judge demands. And that's just kind of speaks to that whole Belichickian type of mindset, that hard type of coach. He's not a player's coach. He's a demanding coach, but he commands respect through his actions and not through just, hey, you have to respect me because I'm your coach. I feel like, I remember a story about Derek Dillon, the undrafted kid out of LSU last year, and how something happened with his, I think, his either girlfriend or his fiance or his wife was giving birth and he sent Dylan home by cutting him from the practice squad at a specific time which gave him the money to end up flying home one of those things where I think Dylan it was like oh if I go home I might end up getting cut but like Joe Judge said that he was going to make sure that he still had a roster spot when he came back just go and take care of your own he did something similar with Logan Ryan as well you can just tell that he shows the players that that he cares about them. And I think that goes a long way in this league because this is, hey, this is a people business as well. I mean, it's all about, you know, players, you need to be effective, but this is also about relationships. And if you treat people kindly and treat people with respect, you're going to get respect. And having the players respect you as a coach is, is huge in a locker room. Yeah, and I think it often gets lost when people talk about players' coaches where it's like, Honestly, the player's coach, the whole idea of the player's coach may be something that you don't want because, yeah, some guys aren't going to take well to, like, conditioning. They might be 30-year-old veterans or, you know, they've been in the league, they've been on different teams, they come over like, oh, I don't, I'm not expecting this. Or even, like, maybe entitled rookies or younger players that were high draft picks or just maybe weren't or don't have the best kind of attitude. But maybe you just don't want those players on your roster because if you're going to not condition these players, you're not going to work them super hard and get them, you know, ready for an insanely physical game that football is. Then maybe just those aren't the guys you want to build a roster out of 53 players. And so, yeah, I think Shepard is speaking out here. He's kind of just like, yeah, I like this style of coaching. You know, I want to be coached hard. I want to have to work hard and grind at it. And the guys who don't, you don't need those guys. No, no, you don't. Let's. I mean, I'm sure that Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, they're going to weed those types of guys out and yeah. they want to bring in the people who are going to buy in and who are going to give 100% effort on every down in football. Yeah, and that's a really cool you know, aspect of Judge coming on because, again, 
you know, at least from Shepard's standpoint, at least what he said, that, that didn't really happen much in the past. And I was at training camp for, I don't know, five, I guess a handful or two of practices during one of the Shermer years. And those practices, man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They were very, I don't want to say vanilla, but they were very kind of planned out and they're just they're just running plays really i mean i'm not sure if maybe they do a ton of conditioning that's not open to the public but you know if i got out to a joe judge practice this offseason or if either of us get out to one of them maybe we can kind of see if they're if we notice that you know here over to the side they're running these kind of drills that are like good for your stamina good for conditioning because you know it'll just something interesting to think about that you don't always consider with these coaches you know what impact do they have on the players from kind of the conditioning standpoint and, and you know not just coaching them specific scheme and stuff like that but also kind of to be great athletes okay let's dive into your rookie projections now nick but before we do that let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors like any good team hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game that's why you need indeed indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one two three post screen and interview all on indeed Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Rip the projections to shreds, Dan. <laughs> Why? Not feeling confident about your new projections? No, I feel fine about them, but I like to be uh, contended. Okay, well, listen, you're going to have to put yourself out there here, Nick. Put these projections out there and. We're going to write them all down. I'm going to make sure every fan writes down and logs every single projection. <laughs> then at the end of the season, when you get everything wrong, we're going to give you like a little X next to each projection. I'll do a little spreadsheet, every projection. Let's see. How many do you think you're going to hit of these? So how close do I have to be If in yards? Let's standpoint. say within 100 yards. Okay. Within one and a half touchdowns. Okay. Within 10 targets. Oh, for for the uh, for Kadarius Tony for receivers. I, I you know what I think uh, I think this projection is pretty spot on, man. I think that's a good, good little cushion. All right, so hopefully we have a listener then who's willing to write all this down, track <laughs> it all, and come back here and roast you. <laughs> nah, I'm just messing. Let's get into it. Kadarius Tony, the Giants' first round pick. All right, Nick, 
Let's give your prediction. How many games will we play? How many targets will we see? How many catches? How many receiving yards? How many receiving touchdowns? How many rushing attempts? How many rushing yards? How many rushing touchdowns? Is he going to throw any passes? Tell us. Alrighty, so first off, the whole throwing passes thing. I made a comment on this podcast that was a bit aggressive. I walked that back a little bit. <laughs> what was it again? I think I said that the over-under on... Oh, three and a half. Yeah, it was three and a half. You took the over. Yeah, and I took the over. That's a little bit aggressive. <laughs> but I don't know, man. There could be like weird like just like little screens. and just. But honestly, I don't even think he's going to end up throwing the football if that ends up happening. He'll probably end up running when everyone bails to get back when they say, right. oh, crap, he's about to throw the football. But anyways, the prediction for games, I mean, I'm not predicting. I don't like predicting injury or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I just said 14 games. So that's what I'm just going to roll with. And starting for the offense with all the weapons, I don't really care about who's the first guy out there in yeah. the first play because they might be three tight ends starting. I, the starting thing doesn't really matter to me. But I have him having 83 targets, 58 catches for 628 yards, and six receiving touchdowns. Then 18 rushing attempts for 126 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, three passing attempts, one completed pass for 14 yards. So you're still pushing on that over. You're not no, you're not pushing. You're just under a push. You still see three passing attempts. I, I'm going to yeah. take the under on three. We'll have a little friendly wager off the pot. I'm going to take the under on th- three times that he throws the ball. This doesn't count if they pitch it to him and he decides to run when they bail. That's not a pass. We're, we're saying that's not pass design plays, attempts. Oh, see, that's where it gets interesting. But you got attempts right? written yeah. down here. I do have attempts written <laughs> down there. Yeah, yeah. So we're taking the under. I was thinking more like three plays, and he actually might end up okay. running one of them. But okay. okay. Uh, by the way, it's worded. You are correct. <laughs> all right. I'll take that win. I'll take all the wins I can get. But listen, 58 catches on 83 targets. I think that's well within the range for him. I think if he does have 50, let's say he has 83 targets, right? And he plays 14 games in this one, in, in this projection. So how many targets would that be per game? It's around six. Around six targets per game. I can see that being the case. I think it's a little bullish just because I'm not certain he's going to play enough snaps, even if he does start or if he doesn't start, regardless of that. Six targets a game, though, would mean that I get my wish, and he is, the offense is running through him as one of the key cogs. If you're getting six targets a game and, you know, what, 18 rushing attempts, a rush attempt a game, so really seven touches per game, that's pretty good stuff. I mean, I could ask for a little bit more. I could ask for 10 to be a key cog. But if you're getting seven touches a game, that may, or targets plus touches a game, you know, targets plus carries a game, that makes you a pretty decent part of the offense. So I think I like how bullish you are on his ability to kind of come in right away and be, you know, a player that this offense relies on. I think there's going to be games where it won't be as, especially early on in the season, where he'll have like three, four, five. But then I think there's going to be times where he gets in a groove. The defense is really focused on stopping Saquon Barkley. They're focused on Kenny Galladay. And that's going to open up more just space and more time for Kadarius Toney to kind of get open. See, I, I would like to have him as just, you know, a lot more. You know, there was a lot of rookies last year who ended up having over 100 targets. Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins. Uh, Chase Claypool, the Steelers, they all had over 100 targets. But realistically, with the Giants this season, I don't necessarily see that happening because you have Darius Slayton, you have Sterling Shepard, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Kenny Galladay, and Jason Garrett loves to throw to the tight ends. So 83 targets could still be a a pretty, like that still could be, like you said, bullish, to be honest, just because there are so many mouths to feed. But I think this is a solid outlook on on a so, what would be a solid season, which is funny too, because I think a lot of people would look at a uh, first round receiver. If you said a first round receiver had less than 700 yards, six receiving touchdowns is pretty fine, but then less than 60 catches, you'd probably be like, eh. but I think the context taking in, into account is, well, he's on an offense with a lot of weapons and 
he you know getting around six targets a game because he only played 14 games I don't think that's too too bad of a season no especially when you consider what the Giants want to be the Giants want to be a team that runs the football a lot you know uses some play action and takes some shots but runs the football a lot and controls the game from that standpoint controlling the clock and then plays really good defense that's what they want to be so, I mean, going back to what you just said, some of those guys like CeeDee Lamb played in a really pass-heavy offense where he operated out of the slot and was getting a ton of targets from Dak. Chase Claypool played in maybe the most pass-happy offense. Steelers didn't even attempt to run the ball last year. T. Higgins, immediate, you know, rapport with Joe Burrow, 108 targets. Jerry Judy on an offense that was playing from behind all the time and lost, uh, what's his name, Cortland Sutton, so he was the main cog. And then, obviously, Justin Jefferson was absolutely amazing. But, you know, you're projecting him for targets in the range of, like, LaVishka Chanel. And that's, I can see him having that type of role in year one, LaVishka Chanel. I'm hoping it's a little bit of a bigger role, I would say. Just now, kind of looking at it from that perspective, that's 79 targets Chanel had. And I'm sure he had, um, how many attempts did he have? 18 rushing attempts and 79 targets. So this is almost identical to what, you know, he would have had. Because we have 18 rushing attempts projected and 83 targets. So it would be similar season to that. And I think that's fair because even though we would want him to have a bigger role, it would mean the offense is clicking. It's one of the best offenses in the NFL. Because again, like you said, got to get the ball to Shepard, got to get the ball to Ingram, Rudolph, Barkley especially, and Kenny Galladay. And then potentially Darius Slayton, like you mentioned as well there. So I can see that all being the case. Yeah, Chenault's definitely somebody I could see him being used in a similar fashion. Because Chenault, like you said, he didn't get over 100 yards. And I have... Kadarius Tony having over 126 yards on 18 rushing attempts, but I also I can envision at least one of those 18 attempts breaking. You know, mm-hmm. I think some of them might be those little jet sweeps and just little handoffs. You have him get the edge. Hopefully, he picks up the first down, keep the chains moving. But then there's just that one, just with his contact balance and his elusiveness, and you just have him against a safety coming downhill, give him space and his change of direction ability can really just manipulate that safety. And then he can have a long run based off that. So I could see a long run for a touchdown. And initially I was like, do I give him two touchdowns here? And I'm like, ah, eight total touchdowns. That'd be awesome. But I was like, you know what? Let's just go with one rushing touchdown. He doesn't necessarily have that breakaway type speed, although he is a fast player and he's really just an excellent overall athlete. Yeah. Contact balance moves, ability to kind of cut on a dime, change directions in space. And then Another thing that he has that we know is burst. You know, he has more burst in my mind considerably mm. than Lavisha Chanel. So we'll take the over on one projection. You have him projected for 10.8 yards per reception currently. So that's 628 yards and 58 catches. That would be similar to what Chanel did 10.3 last year with the Jaguars. I'm going to take the over on that. I think, again, Tony has a lot more burst than a player like Chanel. And also just in general, I can see him kind of being that tough runner to take down in space who kind of just always grinds out yards in that like Alvin Kamara-esque way where he's kind of just pushing pot. It's not pushing the pile just kind of going laterally going upfield and getting an extra two or three yards every time and I think that's fair to be honest I I do I think there's just going to be a lot of passes that are around the line of scrimmage near the line of scrimmage and there are a lot of defensive backs and safeties that can come downhill and they can really stick and and secure the tackle this isn't the SEC this is the NFL although I do feel like Kadarius Tony could still make them miss but it's not going to happen on every single play there's going to be times where it's going to be a negative one negative two yard gain so that's why I hovered around the 10 but you're right I can easily see it being you know 12 13 maybe even 14 yards per catch yeah, and if possible, you know, that would potentially put him close to like that 800 or more yard range. <laughs> That's going to show anyone who's listening how bad my quick math is because if he's averaging, what, 13, 12, 13 yards per catch, that would probably put him over 800. But yeah, I like that projection. Let's move on to the Giants' second round pick, Aziz Ojolari. Give us your prediction on what his stats will be. 
for Aziz, I have him 16 games played, 14 starts, and then I have him with 45 tackles. And these are the tackles according to Pro Football Focus, not the tackles according to Pro Football Reference, which is a little bit more, I would say. But 45 tackles, 9 tackles for a loss, 6 sacks, 31 pressures, 2 BBUs, and 2 forced fumbles. Now, I think he may not, I think he could easily start week one, but in this theoretical world right here I have him maybe not starting right away but still playing you know 45 snaps and then he earns that start by week three and then just if he's healthy starts the rest of the year for 16 games maybe gets dinged up one week or something stupid like that yeah I mean I think everybody could sign on for that that would be averaging you know almost one tackle for loss and or sack per game because this would be 15 total you know plays behind the line of scrimmage where Mm. he makes an impact on the play either takes down the quarterback or the ball carrier for a loss and I think you know if he gives them one of those per game that's already an upgrade over what they had last year from that position add in two PBUs a couple forced fumbles that could change games here and I think that's something anyone could sign up for and I don't think it's too bullish either I think you know that's pretty reasonable that projection is pretty reasonable because if Ojolari plays the snaps we think he'll play, and again, like we said, he already has one move that's going to work for him right away, it seems like, in the pros. Not against every tackle. It's not going to work against the best of the best. Taron Armstead will probably do fine with him if he has to go up in that matchup, but he will have that move working against at least some of the offensive tackles right away, and so I think it's a good projection there. Just for reference, Kyrill Fackrell last year, he played 12 games, had 24 tackles, 19 pressures, and 4 sacks according to Pro Football Focus. So just for some sort of reference, but if you watch the game, Kyler Fackrell had a lot of cleanup sacks. You know, he ended up getting those 4 sacks. A lot of them were cleanup. A lot of them were on stunts or twists, and I know I have Aziz Ojolari only having two extra sacks, but that's still a big difference there. And I do believe that offenses are going to be paying attention a little bit more to blocking and making sure that Aziz Ojolari does not beat them, especially if he imposes his will early in the season, which is what we hope. Mm-hmm. But they still have to worry about big boy Leonard Williams, man, because Leonard Williams is not going away. That That's one, like, we didn't really make a huge deal of it because the offseason was so just hectic, Dan. Mm-hmm. Retaining Leonard Williams is awesome, especially now that the Giants are able to bring in an edge guy like Aziz Ojolari and even a pass rushing specialist like a Ellerson Smith. Yeah, what do we talk about all last season? Get someone to run the two-man game with Leonard Williams. Like, think about how much better the entire defense will be if they have someone to run the two-man game on third downs and third and longs. And now they have two options they didn't have last year. Azizo Jalari, who I think is ready right now to be a really good option with that with Leonard Williams in that two-man game. And then maybe whatever they can get out of Ellers, I'm sorry, Ellerson Smith. And then imagine if Lorenzo Carter gives them something there too, which is possible. And Odegenbos. Like, they have Odegenbos. Sorry. They have four legitimate options i think not all of them will come through but four options i shall i should say that have at least upside a ton more upside than they had with any like if you look across the depth chart at edge it's so much deeper right now than it was last year and everyone forgets about ryan anderson too and ryan anderson is not a player that's going to be effective as a pass rusher but watch him take on the run man He's very, very aggressive. He's very, very physical. He's very instinctual. Trusts his keys. Attacks well. Very, very violent with how he attacks as well. So Ryan Anderson, I'm excited about him on those first and second down reps. But I just don't want to see him out there on third down or in second and long situations just because I just don't see that burst, that athletic ability, and that ability to string moves together. And all the things that we kind of talk about with pass rusher, just the athletic upside is not there, especially when you have an Ellerson Smith and Aziz Ojolari and Odenabo and all these other pass rushing guys who have a little bit more juice than someone like Ryan Anderson. Yeah, it's a great point, but I do like the fact that you said he's really good against the run. It makes sense. He comes from Nick Saban coach team. You know, he was coached really well in college. 
and he's translated that to the NFL against the run at least. But I actually think he's a sleeper to miss the roster. I think there's a like, one of these edges is going to miss, whether that be him. I don't think that's crazy either, to yeah. be honest, especially if Odenabo and Aziz Ojolari right. and if Ellerson Smith takes that step against the run, which is something we didn't see in college. But if he but takes he's not that getting step, cut regardless. No, 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 no. But yeah. like, if you have somebody on your roster that's like, hey, look, this guy can play right. on first down. This guy can play on third and short. Right, this right. guy can play on obvious running situations. Then we don't need Ryan Anderson. We don't need that. Yeah. So I think it would probably depend on one, the health of Lorenzo Carter, because as mm. you've broken down, he's yeah. pretty good against the run. They can probably, you know, afford to have him out there, feel confident. And then I feel like they feel like Aziz is already close to where they want there, especially from the specific edge position that in this system. So. It'll be interesting to see who doesn't get that spot. There's going to be one of these guys, like it's either him, O'Shane, Carter. Like, There's going to be a surprise cut from these edges because they're deeper than they expected to be here. And, and it end up ultimately might end up being you know, Carter Coughlin or Cam Brown. I tend to think that they'll make the roster for their special teams, especially Cam Brown. I could see a scenario where Carter Coughlin is the odd man out. But it could be one of these guys, too. It's a fascinating conversation. It's one that we'll probably talk about a lot throughout the summer because literally just a couple months ago we were talking about, oh, man, there's such a dearth of talent at this edge position. There's no one here. Right. We're playing Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown's and, and just complaining about it. And now we're like, well, someone someone we kind of like has to get cut. It's yeah, just exactly. a total flip of the switch. Exactly. They did a good job replenishing there. I give the management a lot of credit for what they did with edge this offseason. It was impressive. They went from having next to nothing essentially at the position to and again i understand why they went that route anyway because they got away with it last year like they literally got away with having like you said at times david mayo out on the edge that wasn't often but at times and they got away with carter coughlin on the edge camera you know they got away with a lot of players even Kyler fackrell he's an okay player you don't want him playing as many snaps as he did before the injury and yet even then they had a really strong defense so it'll be interesting to see now what that defense looks like with actual talent on the edge yeah so dan i gotta ask you about Sure. the Ojalari pr- predictions would you sign up for that right there 31 pressures six sacks hey, let's let's bring up Ch- what did Chase Young do last year yeah while you're doing that I will say this I do sign up for that I think that like I said if you can give me one combined tackle for loss or sack per game and now the pressures is probably something I'd like to see more if you have them with 33 total pressures I'd like to see Two a game's okay. I'd like to see a little bit more than that, I guess I would say. But I, I do really like the production here. Yeah, so so Chase Young last year, he played in 17 games because they played in the wild card round against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had 42 pressures. He ended up having six sacks, which is the same that I have as Izzo Jolari, and I am not saying that <laughs> as Izzo Jolari is the same as Chase Young. I just think the way the Giants operate their defense is going to allow for different people to end up getting sacks because of the twists and the stun game. But Chase Young... Trust me, offenses were like, that guy right there, we are not going to put him into a position to beat us. We're going to double team him. We're going to keep a tight end there. We're going to keep a running back on his side. That might not happen as often with Aziz Ojolari because of Leonard Williams and because of just the way Patrick Graham employs his defense. I still think it may happen a little bit, but not to the level that what Chase Young ended up seeing. But Chase Young is just an absolute stud. And then he ended up having, what, 36 tackles. And I'm not sure about the forced fumbles, but... The two forced fumbles that I have Aziz Ojolari uh, having would probably be coming around the edge because his pass rush move takes him on that loopy path around to where he can use that inside arm to just swat down on a quarterback. Hopefully, of those six sacks, two of 
two of them end up being forced fumbles. Yeah, I think it's possible. And like you said, I mean, game defenses did game plan and scheme around Chase Young. That might not happen for Ojolari. But I will say this, after seeing, you know, what Chase Young did and what I felt was a relatively very productive rookie season for him, and again, some of it was because he was schemed against. It's part of why he was so effective. But I will say this. I take back everything I just said. I don't need any more pressures than the thirty than the thirty-two you have projected. I mean, that's only ten less than or ten fewer than Chase Young had. That's perfectly fine for me. And as far as six sacks go, I already said I like that. So I'm changing my mind on that. That's a lot of pressures. I'll take thirty-two. Uh, what thirty-two pressures? And it's kind of wild too because you think about the difference that we think Aziz Ojolari having 32 I think Kyler Fackrell had like 19 last year which is kind of a lot for a guy who was injured for a part of the year I think he ended up missing four games and he's not overly talented when it comes to rushing the passer he's a he's a solid overall edge but I guess you could say the issue with some of the PFF pressure stats is they're just not really contextualized did he get this by winning one-on-one reps did he get this because a tackle slipped and fell did he get this because of a twist stunt did he You just don't know exactly how they ended up earning the pressure. So you're just kind of going off raw stats that aren't contextualized. That is so spot on. That is one of the biggest issues right there, taking any of the... That's the problem with some of this data. It's really helpful for us because a lot of times it does translate. You look at the guys who have the most pressures and it is the guys who the film says are the best at their you know, respective positions. But like you said, some of it will be a little bit off like because it's not taking into account all that stuff. It's not taking into account assignments on the play, any of that. So... Just something to keep in mind as we move forward. And we do mention those stats, total pressures, hurries, uh, and we cite a source like PFF or really any of the sources we cite. Always remember, like, this is, you need to be contextualized, some of the stuff. You need to take, I wouldn't say take it with a grain of salt, but you just need to fact uh, consider all the factors that go into it. 100% correct. All right, let's get to Giants' third-round pick, Aaron Robinson, the corner. Give me your prediction for Robinson. Yeah, so for Robinson, I have him playing 17 games, starting six. That really just doesn't matter at all. I think Darnay Holmes started five games last year, but again, it really just doesn't matter what starts with some of these positions. And then I have him having 36 tackles, one tackle for a loss, one sack, four pressures, seven PBUs, which is a bit aggressive, one interception, and one forced fumble. I think that he's going to get seven PBUs because I think the defense is going to have James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, and if Adoree Jackson plays like we hope he can in a more, not shut down role, but just a high end number two, then I think offenses are going to look at the Giants defense and be like, can't really run up the middle against him. Let's try quick pass game against that new rookie in the slot and that's Aaron Robinson so I think with his click and close ability coming downhill with his disruptiveness at the catch point he can drive downhill on a lot of those and possibly get his hand in there so that's why I have kind of a little bit of an inflated number there because I feel like offenses are going to attack him early on until he can prove that hey he can't attack me I'm not a liability that's why I have the seven PBUs one interception ball can get popped up in the air and then he just ends up coming down with it who knows what ends up happening there but I think this would be a solid stat line in the sack. We know that Patrick Graham loves bringing that nickel down in in his five-man pressure packages, and I think Robinson could be used in that way as the star in that linebacker spot or as the uh, nickel defender. Yeah, I mean, I think you're a spot on there as well. The interesting thing is what you mentioned. If he is getting targeted early like that, and so it kind of does lead to the volume, which leads to the seven pass breakups, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts. Confidence is always huge for these defensive backs. We saw it with DeAndre Baker in his rookie season. Just lost his confidence immediately and was just not anywhere close to the player he looked like in the SEC, shutting down SEC receivers with Georgia. I'll also say this. It's interesting to think about like these stats, these projections. 
it assumes that he will ascend. I mean, if he's putting up that, if he has seven pass breakups, it means he's in for enough plays that he is essentially uh, supplanted Darnay Holmes at the Giants slot corner. And it'll be interesting to see that battle play out. I think I'm bullish as well on him beating out Holmes, but there probably is something to be made of the fact that Holmes was really good for the Giants last year. He has the extra year of experience. He knows the system a lot better than Aaron Robinson knows the system. And I don't think he's going to give it up. I know he's not going to give it up with a fight, but I don't think they might feel as comfortable early on, at least, with him out there because they feel like with Holmes out there, there won't be as many miscommunications. And now, this may depend on the matchups. There's going to be slot guys they don't want to put Holmes against if they're bigger. But it will be interesting to see that battle play out. It will definitely be interesting to see all that play out. Darnay Holmes, I think one reason, and I don't, first off, let me specify, I don't believe that Aaron Robinson, the addition of him, is necessarily a huge referendum on Darnay Holmes. I think they look at this and they're like, yo, we need to bring quality secondary pieces onto this team. I think I love what the Giants did because Dave Gettleman, you got to give him credit here. Dave Gettleman came into the Giants like, we're going to stop the run and we're going to run the football. And everyone's like, dude, everything's about passing in this league. Hmm. And everything in this 2021 offseason has been about passing. He brought in Kenny Galladay, John Ross, Kyle Rudolph, upgraded that passing attack. Then he goes out and he drafts Aziz Ojolari, Aaron Robinson, Ellerson Smith. Three guys who were specific. And Kadarius Toney. And Kadarius Toney, yeah, of course. Three guys who were specific to either helping the passing attack on offense or having these defenders rush the passer or cover the passer. So everything has been about the pass, which I love about Dave Gettleman and this 2021 offseason so far. So with Aaron Robinson... I mean, I think they love the fact that he's a really good tackler. Now, in 2019, he wasn't as great. He kind of missed a lot more tackles, but he really shirted it up in 2020. But Darnay Holmes last year, and I didn't realize this until I saw the PFF stat, and this is a stat that I feel like, again, like we just talked about, some of these are uncontextualized, but the missed tackle ones are a little bit more sure, and we did see it on film sometimes, but then we'd see him just be incredibly physical and just lay his entire weight into these hits, and I'm like, wow, man, that's like yeah. a five foot nine guy who's just packing a punch there. He had a missed tackle rate, though, of over 20%, which I don't know if the Giants look at that and they're like, that's not something that's going to be ideal for us. Now, I think Darnay Holmes is still going to find his way onto the field because I think he's a good football player. But I would not be shocked if Aaron Robinson beats him out in camp and then he's the one who ends up getting the majority of the snaps in the slot. And then they kind of rotate a little bit based on matchup. No, yeah, I I think you're right to be as bullish as you are because I feel the same way. I'm not even sure it will be as much of a rotation as that seems. I think by the mid-season point, I think it will mostly be Robinson. I go back to a quote Dave Gettleman said after the draft when he talked about when we built the best teams, you know, and you look at some of the best teams like that Bill Belichick built, and it was either Judge or, or Gettleman. So someone could correct me on this. It might have been Judge in one of those interviews. There are like four interviews on the fan and, and on a Michael Kay's show. And he's like, the best secondaries have the best tackling defensive backs. And I don't know if that's a referendum on Holmes. I'm not saying that is. But with a 20.5% missed tackle rate, again, these numbers, we have to keep them contextualized. But there were often times that we saw on film, like he was not the best guy to have in there. I mean, it's just physics. Like we talked about with the guy we had on, uh, the former Cardinals player, who's uh, the uncle of Irv Smith. Like it's just physics, the five foot 10, 198 pound guy trying to tackle in space. And he put everything into it. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a better option than somebody like Aaron Robinson, who has a lot of good film with form tackling, with coming down hard and just making plays in the box. The game is becoming more and more about having those second level defenders who can drive or either come down or retreat and drop back. And you have more guys who can kind of do both. And I'm not saying Holmes can't do that, but at 198 pounds, it's not as easy for him to do it, I don't think, as some other players. So I think you're. I think they drafted him for a reason, Aaron Robinson. Maybe the mental side of this will 
not necessarily hold him back at first, but kind of keep it a rotation at first. But I think ultimately we will see Robinson. That would be my best guess right now. Yeah, and Robinson is he's comparable in, I would say, weight to Darnay Holmes. He might even be actually a little bit lighter than Darnay Holmes, but he's his the way he comes downhill and the aggressiveness, and I'm not saying that Darnay Holmes is not this, but he showed some really impressive tackling chops in 2020 yeah. at UCF. And he's longer, too. He's he a lot longer. Yeah, like Darnay Holmes, I think, had sub-30-inch arms right. at the combine, which is which is not desirable. So I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if either one of those guys end up winning, but I, I also, if, if Robinson has more snaps at the end of the year and they're both play, you know, if they're both healthy, I, I, that would not surprise me in the least. All right, let's move on to the Giants' fourth-round pick. Ellerson Smith, what's your prediction for Ellerson Smith? Ellerson Smith, I have him in a bit role, but he's going to be playing 15 games. Maybe he gets, you know, a little injury, two, two games he misses, whatever. 19 tackles, two tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks, 17 pressures, one PBU. Now, the so 17 pressures for somebody in a bit role, that's, that's fun right there because I think with him and Leonard Williams and all the focus going to Leonard Williams, and this is a rookie from freaking UNI who was a day three pick, I think if Ellison Smith can take advantage of offenses sleeping on him a little bit, and if he, especially if he develops the ability to convert speed to power, then we're really talking about somebody interesting, which I talk about. If you guys want to go check out the YouTube page, I we just came out with a video about Ellison Smith's negatives and the thing he has to upgrade on. If he can find and unlock power in his pass rush plan, he could be incredibly dangerous and so fun to watch because he already has the burst, explosiveness, athletic ability, and ability to put moves together in his pass rushing repertoire. So if he can get that power, that 17 pressures would probably go up, to be honest. But three and a half sacks, I think he can, you know, get in there, you know, oh, it's third down late in the game. Good old stunt with Leonard Williams, and he loops right around, and he gets a hit, you know. Three and a half might be a little bit aggressive, but I I do like Ellerson Smith, and if he can earn snaps... Uh, I think this could be a realistic high-end goal for him when he, if he's not a full-time starter. Now, I have a question for you, Dan, though. I don't know if you want to dive into this, like, uh, your opinions on this, or do you want me to ask you the question? <laughs> that was an odd way to frame it, so uh, I guess I'll go with ask me the question. All righty. <laughs> if Ellerson Smith has this type of stat line, what does that say about O'Shane Zimenez? I guess it's saying that he's not playing often because this is around the same amount of pressures that... Kyler Fackrell had last year for the Giants, 19. It was close to the 17 projection. Now, mm. playing a few more games, three uh, three more games according to this projection. But I would say that if this is happening, he's probably not playing much because, again, I really feel like Adenabo is going to have a role on this defense as a pass rusher. Now, it may end up being more inside than we expect on specific type of downs. Not often, but some passing downs, they might try to do something like that. But I still think he'll have a role on this defense off the edge as well. So it's interesting. I guess I would say that it probably means, though, that he's not playing much. Yeah, and that, that would be something. Now, obviously, this is all just me pulling stats out of the air. This isn't actually happening. But if we do feel like Ellerson Smith is going to be seeing third down reps as the season goes on, where's O'Shane Zimenez going to like slide yeah. in? Now, O'Shane, he's somebody that I still like. We talked about it on the locker room. I think that he can come in if he's totally rehab from those shoulder and, and be an impact player as a pass rusher. Not to the level of an Aziz Ojolari, but... I think him and Ellerson Smith are going to be in direct competition for a role on this defense. Yeah, it's a great point. And like you said, it's 
what we've broken down this entire time, O'Shane, they don't trust, or it's not that they don't trust him. He hasn't given them reason yet to trust him on early downs. So if that's the case, and Ellerson Smith, you just mentioned, is in a similar boat, they're basically competing for the same share of the pie. You know, they are competing for a very specific role on this 2021 roster. That's third down defense, passing down defense. And so if that's the case, I think that, that it'll be interesting to watch that play out. For me, it's like with Smith, I think there's just such a wide range of outcomes that could happen this rookie season. He's easily to me the most boomer bust from a projection standpoint of anyone in this rookie class because you see sometimes on his film he's just like like you said stringing together pass moves bursting off the snap just looking like an absolute freak who can't be blocked one-on-one you see other times it's like he's not making much progress against some derpy offensive linemen from whatever school they're playing you're like can this guy compete against nfl offensive linemen right away when he's not even dominating every single one of these so it's really interesting to see like you said it will depend a lot and if he can start to do a better job of converting speed to power that's huge for any of these defensive linemen but there are it just seems like it's it's hard to predict in my mind. He's the hardest. He's the one rookie I have the hardest time predicting or, or coming up with a projection for, I would yeah, say. Three and a half is a bit aggressive. I'm, okay. will, I'm willing to say that. Maybe two and a half is a bit better. But, but I could see it happening then at the same yeah. time, though, too. If he's just you know used in a certain way or picks it up faster than we expect because he has that kind of talent. And I think it also speaks a little bit more to... and it, Again, I'm not knocking Ellerson Smith, but it speaks a little bit more to Patrick Graham and his ability to scheme up the pressure and his ability to use his personnel to his advantage. And when you look at some of the edge rushers he had to work with last year, they weren't the athletic type of players. And this is where you kind of pat Ellerson Smith on the back. They weren't the type of athletic freaks that Ellerson Smith is. So now I'm thinking, what can Patrick Graham do with this specific player? Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to sixth round pick. Gary Brightwell, the running back out of Arizona. So I have him at nine games. So he's probably not going to dress for several in the beginning of the year, I would imagine. 12 carries, 38 rushing yards, one touchdown. He's going to get into the end zone, Dan. He's going to get there. One catch on two targets for three yards and then two special teams tackles. Interesting. I think these are all fair within reason if he makes the roster. I think it's not a lock that he's going to make the roster. They've been bringing on a lot of backs, a lot of talented backs, and Obviously, like, they talked up his special teams. They hope he can be great on special teams. But it's not like he's arriving on a roster that has been barren and not caring about special teams. This roster has cared a lot about special teams, even before Joe Judge got here with Thomas McGahey, the the special teams coach. They've changed their tune on special teams, and they've had better special teams, except in one outlier year. And now I think it's going to get even better with Joe Judge in the mix. So it's not like he again he's joining a loaded roster from that standpoint. I don't think I don't think he's a lock to immediately be a special teams ace. And so if that's not the case, I just don't know if I see him beating out guys like Corey Clement if Corey Clement still is Corey Clement. Or even a guy like Ryquel Armstead, you know, they bring him in, say he's more of the 2019 version, say he's more of the guy who they scouted, who the Jaguars scouted. And clearly, you know, when the Giants sign a player like him in free agency off of waivers, they used a waiver claim. It's also because they had a good draft evaluation on, you know, they cared, they, they were really interested in him in the draft. They didn't get him. It didn't work out. It didn't fall to him, whatever. They didn't choose a running back with that pick, but they were interested in him. And so I think that there's a lot more talent in the back end of that running back. So if he does make the roster, I think these are fair projections. I would say this, what do you think the chances, if you had to give a percentage, or let's say a 1 to 10 scale, what do you think the chances of Brightwell making the roster? I'm going to say, I'm just going to go 50-50 at this point, because they did bring in those two running backs, but I still think they look at Brightwell and they're like, hey, this is somebody that we have locked up for four seasons now, he's Mm. cheap, he can offer the physical type of back that you want as a running back, because they really do value these like 5 foot 10 
six foot, two hundred and twenty pound running. They they love him because literally Corey Clement, Armstead, Brightwell, they they all are of the similar type of build. Clement has an extensive history playing special teams. Now that is going to be the reason why Brightwell does not end up making this roster. Do you consider the practice squad the roster? No. Okay, well then I'm going to probably go with a three and a half. Three and a half for chances of making the roster. So I think he's going to go to the practice squad, and then if injuries do happen, he'll end up getting called up. I think Clement could end up making this team, or Armstead, but it's just hard to gauge where Armstead is with his recovery from COVID and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go with a, I'm going to go with, let's see, I'll go with a two and a half. I think it's like a one in four. Actually, a two. It's like a one in five chance, I think. Because I think, like you said, Clement could be cookie cutter, boom. They see it within a week. They're like, all right, this is our running back three. He plays specials, and he's we can rely on him if we need to. So now it's three. It's pretty good in pass protection. It's pretty good in pass protection, too. Are they going to keep Penny on the roster? And that's potentially a fourth back. So now if you're keeping four backs, or if it's between Penny and, and somebody like... Gillespie. Uh, yeah, or Gillespie as well. That's two guys in the mix there at that fullback position or whatever you want to call it, H-back. I don't know what it will even be. But if they keep, that's another player that he's going to have to compete with. I wasn't even thinking about that. And mm-hmm. now he'll, he's in the same boat. He's, you know, maybe at best a 30, 40, 50% chance, three or four, five out of 10 chance, I guess, for him to make the roster. But again, that's three guys competing for maybe one spot, maybe one spot, or they could just roll with three. They'll probably roll with four. So it's interesting. I, I'm probably with you. I'm probably down on his chance to make the roster if I had to predict now. Yeah, I think practice squad, that's something that he should aspire for, though. I mean, obviously you aspire to make the roster, but you land on the practice squad when you can call up. And I'm not 100% sure if this has been approved yet by the NFL, if they're still going to be calling up from the 53 right. of two guys to, to a 55-man roster. And then if two or two games in a row, those guys be active, then they're able to join any other teams and other teams can sign them. And then the team that called them up two games in a row lose the rights to them if somebody wants them. So Brightwell looks at it that way. If do, injuries do end up happening to the running back position, he's going to get called up. He's going to play some special teams. Corey Clement maybe shift to a more dominant role if something were to, you know, knock on wood, happen to Saquon Barkley or even Devontae Booker. So yeah. and that's something that could definitely end up happening for Brightwell. Practice squad is not the worst case scenario. No, and it's interesting because you look at the other position, their last round pick, or, you know, another sixth round pick, their last pick of the draft, with Darius Williams. You have him predicting for six games with three tackles, so not much of a role, obviously, in year one. But you ha- what, I guess I'd ask you the same question, one to ten scale. What do you think his chances of making the roster are? The final roster on, on week one yeah. is one, I okay. would say, maybe. Maybe two, just just because you never know what kind of injuries can happen throughout camp. No, let's say no injuries. Let's say that everybody stays healthy. I would probably say one then because you'll look at just all these defensive backs, James Bradbury, Darnay Holmes. You have Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson. I think Yidem would make the roster over him. And then you have Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Julian Loves, Avery McKinney as those safeties. Uh, I yeah, I would probably say I'd probably say a one or two. What about you? And then Sam yeah. Beal is like the other one that you you throw into this, and you're like, what does he have to offer? This is, he was drafted by Gettleman, but he you barely have seen him. He has no affiliation with Joe Judge. Opted out of last season, but can he play? Or do they love the fact that he ran a lot of press man in college? Like, so it's really hard to gauge him. There's just somewhat unknowns with that secondary, specifically mainly with. Sam Beal and I also don't know if this team values a guy like Quincy Wilson yeah there's a lot of names there I think the decision to not re-sign Adrian Colbert who signed with the Patriots says something about the team it says something about maybe they feel more confident at the state position but there it comes down to numbers with total defense backs like you said like Peppers Ryan McKinney Jackson Robinson Holmes and 
Bradbury. That's seven locks. None of those guys are not making their roster. We know that basically set in stone with it. And again, we're assuming no injuries. So now you're competing for how many roster spots with guys like Yidem, like you said, with guys like Quincy Wilson, who we don't really know how they value there. Um, so it will be interesting to see. And then Sam Beal as well. And you also have guys like Montre Hardage who have just been with Patrick Graham for a while. Now, I don't know the real how realistic it would be that he would make the roster over the six-round pick where Darius Williams. But I still think that a lot of those players that you just named are going to be competing for possibly that final roster spot in week one to be active. Yeah, and so looking back at last year with this Patrick Graham defense, we can probably glean from that. They kept 10 guys on their first roster. It was Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Darnay Holmes, Corey Ballantyne, Isaac Yidem, Brandon Williams, Jabril Peppers, Julian Love, Adrian Colbert, and Nate Ebner. So probably we could be looking at something like 10, but it does kind of depend on those back-end special teams guys, what positions they decide those, you know. Yeah, and a lot of those seem like it could be running back this year because Nate Ebner, mm-hmm. that was his role. So I'm looking like it could Though be. Though Ebner played snaps in that secondary. Yeah, that's because s- <laughs> disgustingly sad, to be honest. But I think the Giants may want a little bit more security at the running back position now that Saquon Barkley is coming back off this injury. They probably don't want to give him as big of a load. Devontae Booker's still going to have a role similar to what Alfred Morris did with with uh, Wayne Gallman late in the season. And someone like Brightwell or Corey Clement may make an active roster just because of what they do on special teams, possibly see some snaps in the backfield as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that are those are our rookie projections for the Giants 2021 draft class. Thank you to everybody tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast during this time of the offseason, the dead time. We promise we'll get you through it. We're excited to get to training camp eventually, the mini camps, and we're excited to break this team down until then. We're going to dive into our projects over the next couple months is dive into a ton of 2020 tape and see what we come up with, see what we come away with, remind ourselves of just everything we remember, or I'm sorry, everything we learned during the 2020 season and how we can project it going forward to 2021. All right, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.